Welcome back to the show. This is Conspiracy What. It's called Conspiracy What, I guess. Also, what? Uh, it's it does Cons- sound weird when you don't go an octave up. It does. It does sound a little bit weird. Uh, I'm Cameron. I'm Allie. I'm Jackie. And today we are all talking about scientists again. Talking oh, about scientists again. I forgot we are doing two scientists. Yes. In a row. But this time it's not so much about people who did math and died as it is so much about people who did math and went crazy. So <laughs> it's a bit different. It's a little bit different. We're going to talk about all the lovely things like what orange juice can really, really do for you and how water retains memory. And also raccoons that glow in the dark. And raccoons mm-hmm. that glow in the dark. Neon or fluorescent, rather, raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> and telepathy. That's in there. Ooh, telepathy. It goes and, and vitamin C, scurvy beware. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going down fast. <laughs> anyway, did we say what this is called? No, I don't think so. Conspiracy we're talking say what? <laughs> no, no, not that far. <laughs> uh, we're we're talking about Nobel disease today. Yeah. Otherwise known as Nobelitis. Which is <laughs> just ridiculous. Anyways, uh this is a disease that any any uh, Nobel Prize winning scientist may uh, inhibit after winning the Nobel Prize and a few years later it might kick in and they might think that they should be endorsing or performing, you know, like other research in different scientific areas that are maybe not completely 100 percent factual pseudoscience, pseudoscience, if you will. <laughs> pseudoscience always sounds like a type of karate to me. <laughs> i don't know why i really don't know it's always sounded like that i'm not gonna lie Pseudo science yeah it sounds like a fighting <laughs> style right i master <laughs> the art of pseudoscience <laughs> basically this is where seemingly the smartest people quote unquote smartest people in the world just kind of lose their damn minds yeah, I like uh, how, you know, when I was looking this up on Wikipedia, the word that they use is crankery. Yes. <laughs> That's good. They believe in crankery. Crankery? <laughs> yeah, they were calling it like, you know, there are a bunch of cranks. They believe in crankery. Basically pseudoscience. But it's I like my the, favorite word. It's kind of like ironic how the disease itself just sounds like pseudoscientific. Right. Maybe that's the point. I'm (laughs) I think it is kind of like ironically built. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've you've written a list of symptoms. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that this is where it kind of feels like the disease itself is actually pseudoscience because the symptoms are megalomania, narcissism, and a sense that they are saving the world, which like doesn't that just describe every doctor? Yeah, like every rich white man who mm-hmm. got a gold star and now he thinks he's really cool and can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Sounds pretty familiar. Exactly. And um, <laughs> so I think why people are worried about it is because these people can be kind of dangerous when you, uh, you know, actually give in to what they, what they think is true because they can use their prestige to influence scientific policy they can, they have, you know, a lot of funding, so they can maybe do some crazy stuff with that and perform a lot of research that just wastes years for no reason. And then even more than that, um, they can say that they talk to raccoons and then people um, have to question their, their scientific process to begin yeah. with. And, and not to mention when they do actually think that they found a solution to something else it's really hard to disprove them because they have a nobel prize so they must be right you know yeah and like it is true that actually several of these have influenced dangerous ideas Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean dangerous either because the idea itself is dangerous or because people are shirking better ideas for the stupid idea exactly yeah and and it's partially i think the idea the idea of the Nobel Prize is 
partly what makes people go crazy because after they get it, you know, they, they end up going crazy, but also there's a lot of cases where people go crazy, just trying to get the prize. True. You know, they'll, there's people like Watson and Crick who discovered like DNA structure, you know, and that it was the helix. They stole a lot of their research from this other woman, mm-hmm. Rosalind Franklin, and in the hopes that they would win a Nobel Prize. Like it just makes people do maybe not crazy things, but definitely unethical things that, you yeah. know, where they would, they would just do anything. They have no morals. Yeah. So I guess Nobel disease can go either way before or after the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just the disease yeah. around the noble thing. Yeah, exactly. It's not so noble, though. <laughs> so we've got a list of people who, as I put it, got got by the Nobel <laughs> disease. Um, this first one just gets me so much. <laughs> I've heard of like this guy and like his crazy vitamin C mm-hmm. quote unquote findings. Yeah, um, but he's, he probably gave us emergency, so... It's, it's fine. That he sounds just, good. He just sounds like crazy hippie grandfather in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. So the first one, Linus Pauling, tagline, really loves orange juice. <laughs> yep. He received the 1954 Nobel Prize in chemistry for his research on the chemical bond. He also won again in 1962. Oh, my God. He must have been double affected. Yeah. So his... His crazy claims after the Nobel Prize was that consuming a thousand milligrams of vitamin C daily could reduce the length of the cold by 45%. Uh, The recommended dose is 60. So that's like way more than you ever would need. Yeah. But then it gets wild because he was actually a purveyor of even larger mega doses. And he took like 12,000 megagrams or milligrams a day. (laughs) Megagrams. Megalomania grams. He even claimed that doing this could solve cancer and schizophrenia. Yeah. And I think that what kind of led him to feel that he was right was his own personal experience because he was diagnosed with Bright's disease, which is just like chronic inflammation of the kidneys. And uh, he, he started taking a lot of, you know, vitamin supplements and including like vitamin C and then he, his disease improved. So he like attributed it to the vitamin C stuff when, you know, who knows what it was actually, but it ended up doing some damage because he, you know, lots of people started focusing on, whoa, does vitamin C cure cancer in large doses? And they actually did testing on humans to see if that was true. Yep. Um, But the problem with all that sciencing that he did was that it made no sense. And most of the time (laughs) he had no control. So like he had nothing to compare any of these alleged findings that he was actually doing to anything else. So basically it's incredibly easy to disprove because he didn't do it right. And it was really hard to understand because apparently it was all just like crackpot scribblings about the vitamin C cures people. And he would just continually claim that it would cure something else. And then something else that is like definitely not curable with just supplements. Mm -hmm. And basically if you take any more vitamin C than your body needs, you're just going to pee out the rest anyway. So you're just kind of bombing your body with vitamin C for no reason. Cause it like literally can't absorb more. Or just making your pee like really orange or something. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, probably. I mean, if he really thinks that orange juice is the key to success. I mean, it's better than peddling actual snake oil. Because like you can put (laughs) vitamin C in a smoothie. You can't do that with snake oil. (laughs) I don't think. True. I mean, like, I, I don't think he really hurt that many people with it, I just feel like he probably took away from actual good cancer research. Yeah. We could have had the solution by now. Um, but I just want to say that it's very ironic because he actually died of prostate cancer. So he just ended up really fucking himself over there. Failed. <laughs> it's just really ironic. Yeah. One of the other funny things that I saw that he, he claimed is that he thinks that students' grades are better directly because they drink orange juice every day. If you drink orange juice every day, your grades will improve. It's like a direct correlation. According to <laughs> and, um, and another thing I read, this is kind of funny too. 
I, of course, you know, he's, he supported eugenics and all, all, um, all uh, crazy scientists do. Mm -hmm. And he thought that humans with genetic diseases should get forehead tattoos so that it discourages (laughs) others who might see them as potential mates. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) So fucked up. But he was also, you know, a peace activist that people Mm, saw. (laughs) So it's fine. Right. (laughs) so bad he believes in peace but like fuck all the people who are i don't know i guess who have a genetic subpar to him yeah an act of violence against anyone with a genetic disease but everyone else you're fine (laughs) (laughs) i hope the end of his will said vitamin c later (laughs) (laughs) that was bad (laughs) okay yeah so that's uh linus pauling um, one of the first, maybe, to get Nobel disease. Um, who wants to talk about racism as science? I don't have any nice words to say about this man. Uh, William Shockley uh, thought he could turn fucking racism into a science. In 1956, he won the Nobel for physics, which... Uh, he, invented invent- transistor. he invented the transistor. It has nothing to do with race. I don't know why he suddenly just decided to just, because of the Nobel disease. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Because of the Nobel disease, that's, I guess. That's the explanation here. You <laughs> win a Nobel Prize, you become racist. That's, <laughs> that's that's what works. He specifically, we're not going to go over this for a long time. He specifically believed that uh, Black people, specifically Black people, uh, not, not a lot of other races were mentioned, uh, were inherently less intelligent than white people. He concluded, he included the fact that uh, they were reproducing faster than the white population was which was causing a reduction in intelligence for society as a whole that is one of his beliefs oof. uh yeah big oof uh not, not that you know he probably had a really high iq because he went you know he had a high iq so he won a nobel prize so he, you know he just assumed that everyone is so stupid yeah and he also said that we should financially incentivize his words uh the black population as a trade-off for mass sterilization which is just abhorrent um holy shit yeah uh he also believed that the polygraph was basically god and it was always correct and he thought that every single nobel prize winner should be asked essentially the question do you really believe that there's no difference in racial iqs this man doubled down a lot uh a lot a lot a lot he died Thank God. And uh, I hope it was bad. I hope it was bad. Wait. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was also another thing I saw where he turned, he turned the phrase Nobel prize sperm bank because he donated all of his sperm to this one place. And he wanted to start a eugenics program um, for Nobel prize children. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I'm glad that never happened. Yep. Maybe it did. And it's, I don't know, on the moon or something. Yeah. There's, there's also uh, just kind of tagged on here with William Shockley as a man named James Watson, also a racist and a man after DNA. Are you looking at his picture at all? Because I, I looked at his picture and I, if I had to draw someone who was racist, I would draw this man. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look him up. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no, I You're right. (laughs) This guy co discovered the structure of DNA in 1962. Uh, He believes essentially the same things that Shockley does. He also thinks that obese people are less ambitious slash driven than other people. Uh, And he has consistently doubled down on his racism as recently as 2018. He is still still alive, alive, but once he dies, I'll shit on both the grapes. That's (laughs) anyway, that's both of them. I have nothing else to say about them other than they just, they went hardcore racism. Yeah, that's like, that's fucked up. Yeah. Hardcore racism. I I like how they're like, yay, DNA, and also fucking racist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that was the guy that I mentioned earlier, like Watson and Crick. And so, not, I didn't know that about him, this new uh, racist information. And so I take it back. Um, He he does have Nobel Prize. I said, all right, Nobel Prize. 
disease. I thought mm-hmm. that he didn't. I hadn't read that. So no, oh no, he does. Yeah. The, oh, the, these does. people are less ambitious than others is also a weird one. It's just kind of a weird well, one to just like, like he's like, I'm throwing out racism. Let me just pull <laughs> something else out of that hat. And also there is another thing I'm, I'm reading this thing that I just looked up about him that says that owing to higher levels of melanin, dark skinned people have a stronger sex drive than fair skinned people. And it's just like, okay, so you're just saying that you don't get any pussy. <laughs> He's just salty about it. <laughs> it's like, it's not that I don't, you know, get a lot of women. It's actually that white people don't have as high of a sex drive. And so that's just normal. And then everyone's like, no, you just, no one wants to have sex with you because you're so racist. <laughs> you're an awful person, dude. <laughs> you're an awful person. It could also be that his head is shaped like a pear. That could be part of the issue. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, oh, and that he's also old as dirt. Yeah, he is. He's like he's like ninety two years old, ninety three years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, anyway, hope Let's he listens to this. Hope fun. he knows that we hate him. <laughs> so there's this guy named Brian Josephson. Yep, he's a physicist. He looks like a physicist. Um, like you just said, Jackie. If there was anybody, um, if I were to draw a physicist, I would draw this. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. And he talks to water. He does talk to water. Let's water. move on. <laughs> he telepathies with water. Next person. <laughs> water memory. That's what it's called. <laughs> Ooh, this actually would change the game for waterbeds. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, but was he racist? No. <laughs> not that I could find. Well, I mean, not that we know. He seems like a pretty chill guy. Racist. Out of all the ones I looked up, he seemed probably the most chill. Uh, he won the Nobel Prize in 1973 uh, for quoted his theoretical predictions of the properties of a supercurrent through a tunnel barrier. I'm so happy for him. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> every single, almost like every single thing train. I don't understand. A high every- speed train. I don't think so. Supercurrent tunnel barrier. Supercurrent through a tunnel barrier. Yeah, I don't think a high speed high speed train is considered a supercurrent. What the fuck is a supercurrent? I also don't know that. Anyway, <laughs> for he, science. Listen, he won the Nobel it, Prize. And it wasn't even for a discovery; it was for his theoretical prediction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he wanted. I guess you can win a Nobel Prize. Should we call Robert that? real quick and do a Robbie Science Corner and see if he can explain this to us? What is a theoretical prediction? Isn't that just a prediction? Is that not? <laughs> Predictions are already theoretical. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I was assuming. Uh, I guess he made his theories make sense. And so they're like, it's a theoretical prediction. You uh, need to add a symptom to Nobel disease. It's adding unnecessary words. <laughs> uh, what, what do you call it when you're editing, Kim? Um, oh, mouth pudding, intellectual, intellectual mouth, mouth pudding. pudding. That's what I call it. But uh, just so everyone knows, a supercurrent is a superconducting current. It's an electric current which flows without dissipation. So again, good for him. I'm so happy that he was like, I think this is how something works, and they gave him a prize. <laughs> if only life worked that way. Anyway, he is a follower of transcendental meditation. He's pretty much a follower of anything pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. That is like what he goes for. Uh, transcendental meditation is something that you can do to kind of ease your mind. Make yourself at peace. There's a lot of people who believe in it. One of my favorite directors, David Lynch, believes in it. It's like how he runs his whole life's philosophy. Helps a lot of people. For a quote from Mr. Josephson here, he said that he also believes uh, it allows traumatic experiences to come back unrepressed to the mind's eye. So he believes that you can recall traumatic experiences through transcendental meditation, but it's not like a repressive thing um he did eventually found the mind matter unification project at cambridge university i feel like there's always the word unification in some weird like conspiracy group (laughs) yeah yeah and that was just a project to essentially uh use transcendental meditation and science together that was kind of the idea uh he also however has worked very heavily in the field of telepathy telepathy So he believes that you can be telepathic or at least that there's a way to figure it out, which is another considered pseudoscience thing. Like pretty much everything he did after his prediction. But how do we know he's wrong? 
we don't know he's wrong. Exactly. The scientific community just says there's no proof, which makes it pseudoscience at the moment. The biggest controversial belief of his, however, which is also the belief of two or of one other Nobel Prize winner, um, Luke Montier. Is that what it is? What? Think French. Montaigne. Okay. Luc Montaigne, uh, he was the Nobel Prize winner of and of like discoverer of HIV. We'll get to him in a minute. And Jacques Benavista, he was credited with the idea of water memory. So even though the idea actually technically goes back to like 1943 and a pseudoscientist in Japan or something like that, or no, 60s and pseudoscientist in Japan. But the idea roughly for those who have never heard of water memory before, it's kind of weird. This is the idea that molecules can communicate with each other without direct contact, uh, proceeding to then mimic the characteristics of the other molecules that they pulled that information from. Therefore, molecules can not only hold memory, they can trade it off and exchange it with one another without having to touch, which also explains why he believes in it since he also believes in telepathy. So it does. they kind of go hand in hand in a weird way. It, this is considered something that is absolutely not real by the scientific community. It's heavily, heavily debated. However, uh, it was put to the test in the early 90s, and they used specifically quoted from, a, um, from an abstract, The History of Memory of Water, uh, the transfer of specific molecular signals to sensitive biological systems was achieved using an amplifier and electromagnetic coils. So they did achieve the goal. They also then set out to put that information into the computer. So to transfer it and then to be able to transfer it to another source, they did succeed in that as well. Um, so it has been proven-ish uh, in a way. A step in the right direction. But it's debated on whether or not it's ever, the experiments have ever been carried out correctly. That's the more of the debate. Yeah, that seems to be a common theme with these where these apparent Nobel Prize winners suddenly forget how to do science right. And then we can't prove anything's correct because they do science wrong. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, other scientists have performed this exact experiment and gotten the same results. So it's not just one or two. Like we've got a group of scientists here that have performed it and gotten the exact same results. That said, it is still considered a pseudoscience at the moment. It's not something that's like actively roaming around. Uh, and a lot of the people that are kind of pushing for this to be accepted by a scientific community are also uh, very, very racist. So <laughs> they're not exactly the best people to get a good idea going. It's not really what they do, but they might not be wrong about this thing. They're just wrong about every single one of their beliefs afterwards. So if only, if only they could learn from water. Yeah, I found another fun thing where he also believes in parapsychology, which again is not really surprising considered everything else you just talked about. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know, ghosts. For anyone who listened to the Enfield Haunting episode, the main investigator on that case is a parapsychologist. Yes. Anyway, this guy believes that parapsychology is real science. Um, he said, I could see parallels between psi phenomena and quantum mechanics. He had a mathematical geneticist friend named George Owen, who apparently on, on, like on the side investigated poltergeist claims. And that's what got this guy into the idea of parapsychology. So, yeah. Yeah. He believes in a lot of weird stuff. Anything that's like fun and paranormal. He loves it. Yeah. He's a fun guy. He's also still alive. Thank God. Cause he sounds lovely. Yeah. I feel like the things that he thinks are like a normal person would think that and it would be like okay yeah you know that's fine but the fact that he is a nobel prize makes him makes it seem like crazy that he thinks that you know yeah, yeah. But, like we should they're just like normal people who've just found like an amazing scientific discovery so you can think some like crazy things it's just that if those crazy things are hurting people or are racist you know that's when that's, that's when maybe line. we should that's when we should maybe cause alarm so yeah and and like the weird thing though is like he is a very smart person i mean obviously he's got a nobel prize and then just suddenly he does just kind of seemingly fall down the rabbit hole of pseudoscience i mean again like memory like water memory might be a very real thing it's hard to say it just it's it's weird to see him go down like telepathy and water memory and just completely push aside all of the things that science says are bullshit 
and just go for those. I mean, like I, just to give kind of an example of how crazy water memory gets, one of the first guys that started investigating it, the idea that is like he originally just put labels on jars of different water and he would write love and he would then check out the structure of that water and he would write hate on a different one and check out the structure of that water. He would then look at the crystalline structure of both and he would be like, well, they look different. Well, I mean, what's the, did you do anything different? Yeah. Was one jar cleaner Again, than what the was other? Your control? He would do things like he played heavy metal music for some jars of water. <laughs> he played Beethoven for others. And he'd be like, look at the difference. He but did don't people whole... do that with plants? And then, and they they do. kind of does there, work. There is like, but see, like plants are like actively living. Like we can't yeah. see that. Like water, mm -hmm. it has a lot of, so like what this guy essentially attributed to is not molecules. The original guy contributed to uh, microbes within the water creating the structures. So he said that they have feelings and emotions. I didn't know that they also spoke Japanese. He was Japanese. So when he wrote love and hate, it was like Jap in Japanese. And he also did an experiment that he said was a successful experiment that proved his theory where he had a group of people go out and purify a lake by, by professing how much they love the lake. <laughs> so he, he, took, okay, he right. took a sample of water and he, he examined the structure and then they professed their love to the lake. And then he took a sample of water and he said it was different. So but different how yeah, in a way. he said it was more purified. Um, if we can, I'll get a picture because there are pictures to show the difference. I mean, it's different water. <laughs> That's We're gonna get the same water. Don't tell him that. <laughs> don't, don't let him know but anyway that's just like that's the kind of weird rabbit hole that like brian josephson also has fallen into is that weird thing of like mm -hmm. point of pseudoscience i don't know yeah it's really I weird like you can you can never prove the water thing because you can never get the same water or even if you just left water in like one room like i feel like maybe it would be different just because like it's been left alone or something like that you know how are you gonna prove that I don't, you'd have to use like two perfectly clean jars the same exact way they're the same exact size that were made in the same way with the same thing for the lids in a temperature controlled room on two like on one table that is like the same vibrations on both sides <laughs> with no alternating factors so that you could yell at one and give love to the <laughs> other to see the difference. Okay, but what if the see, other jar thinks that you're yelling at it? That's what I'm wondering, right? <laughs> this jar's worried. This jar is sad. You get like a little soundproof cube, right? Yeah. And you put it over Just one yelling, jar and yell right? at that one and then you take it off, put it on the other one and tell it you love the other one. But even then, like you'd have to have something over your face because what if you spit on the jar and that changes everything? What if your breath is hotter on one jar and colder on the other? <laughs> You can't test this. It doesn't work. But just so you so know, if, you, if your water is not purified enough, profess your love to it. Maybe it'll work. There's really no reason not to, I guess, at this point. From the findings I have seen, though. You're about to take a bath and you're like, I love you. I mean, to be fair, humans are mostly water and it does work on them. So... Yeah. I don't That's know. True. Maybe we need to start. We start with humans. We go to cucumbers. <laughs> we see how they feel. And then we just slowly integrate. Like we, we go into water. Yeah. Wow. We spent so much more time on this guy than I expected us to. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's the man who talks to ghosts, water, and himself. So. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess we're going to talk about Luke Monte Montagne. Montagne. Now we're starting to sound Southern Montagne. again. Turn French Southern too. Montagne. Montagne. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this man, however you want to say his name, he was an anti-vaxxer enabler who thinks that DNA is magnetic. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> this guy, this guy is just so crazy to me. Um, so he he received the 2008 Nobel Prize for his discovery of HIV, and he maintained that diluted DNA from pathogenic bacteria and viral species can emit electromagnetic waves. So basically a virus, its DNA emits electromagnetic waves. 
and this does partially play into his belief of the memory of water as well. Uh, he also believes in this. He's just yep. the racist side of it. Uh, but he believes <laughs> and, and that... And he claimed that neuro- neurological diseases arise from electromagnetic waves? Yeah. Emitted from viruses. He basically thinks When they're like, in an aqueous solution, which I basically attribute to brain juice. Right. And like, so like at your smallest point, you're emitting electromagnetic waves, which just messes everything else up from there. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. And so this guy and a lot of I've noticed a pattern of this as well as racism, but um, where they think that autism is caused by something like that, it's definitely not caused by. Mm -hmm. So Luke thought that autism, um, that vaccines cause autism, which I feel like that has become very rampant, rampant and like, yeah. And, you know, among white mothers and uh, that you can treat autism with antibiotics, which seems dangerous and like it would really um, increase antibiotic um, or it would increase bacteria strength by just giving autism or autistic people just a bunch of antibiotics. That just seems like a terrible idea. Seems, yeah. Really but there, yeah, there is another guy who also had an autism theory where his name was Nicholas Timbergen and he won the Nobel prize in 1973. So a little bit earlier for animal organization and behavior. And he thought that autism was caused by a lack of intimacy between the mother and the child, and that Mm -hmm. it can be cured by holding therapy where you just hold your child for a really long amount of time. And yeah, that's it. There's there's one other factor that goes into it because originally Mm -hmm. that's what I read. And I was like, okay, that's like, whatever. It's like holding your child, being around them, creating a loving environment, like whatever. No, no. He believes you hold the child and you stare into their eyes (laughs) and you force them to stare into your eyes. He took it a step further yeah is that how we've all made connections with our parents we just like stare at them for long periods of time and we that's, just hope that that's they how get i it. make connections <laughs> yeah uh, I, I did read about that guy but it's, it's just it's amazing how like the the crazy things that they come up with for autism i feel like yeah um so we can move on to the the next guy the meat of the episode if you will yes the whole reason honestly why we even picked this topic thanks mm-hmm. to jackie's find of this guy <laughs> yeah i just for some reason i i can't remember what i was looking up but i guess i was looking up something like really obscure and this was the first thing that came up and it had nothing to do with the thing i was looking up but i <laughs> Once I once I came upon it, I sent it to Ali and Cam because I was like, well, "Is this a possible episode?" And that's we how are. we got on to Noble Diseases. <laughs> um, that we're talking about Carrie Mullis. Carrie Mullis. Uh, he was big on raccoons, aliens, and global not warming. Uh, that was his thing. That's what we're going to be talking about. But he is actually very very important. He's a very very important Nobel prize winner uh he was the co-winner for replicating for creating a system that easily replicates dna the polymerase chain reaction and it's responsible for all kinds of things including like modern csi investigations so if you like the shows like csi miami he's kind of the forefather of those um but it's a lot it's not that easy. It's not. It's <laughs> He's not, not that even easy. a scientist. Before I kind of fully get into like what he believes, like what he where he kind of deteriorated, I just want everyone to know that his story is a story of not of a man who worked really hard in the scientific community his entire life and gained a lot of good standing and spent a lot of hours in the lab by himself doing these experiments it's of a man who was running a cafe during his third marriage who uh was then who then met a friend from a long time back and got hired because he was known for being able to uh he was known as a good synthetic chemist why was he known as a good synthetic chemist because when he went to school at uc berkeley he made a lot of hallucinogenic drugs 
So he got a he job. Was real good at science. Yeah, and this same person that hired him said that he was so bad that he couldn't even pass basic chemistry. Like he was or basic biology. He was like biochem. a biochem, that's what it was. But yeah, so he this is not the same type of story of like a man who was just always amazing and wound up in a place because of his hard work. No, he kind of just got put there. He's that shit. He got put there and it's mostly because he knew a dude. So really pays to know people. Uh, but anyway, he did win the Nobel prize for helping create a polymerase chain reactions, PCR. That's what we're calling it. But he also then went on a very interesting tangent in life. Uh, after he created, <laughs> at least after he created PCR, he actually quit science for a while because he didn't feel like the company he was working for was treating him correctly or with enough respect. He hadn't won a Nobel prize yet. Um, he didn't win that until about three years or something after, after leaving the company, he left to go uh, surf in this going to surf and getting away from Nobel prize and stuff like that. He also just completely abandoned science. That's like the biggest thing. And then they said, hello, you've won a Nobel prize. And then he comes back into the scientific world. This man who couldn't pass basic biochem. Uh, and he comes in with all of his ridiculous beliefs after he wins the award. So one of those is that he didn't believe in human made global warming. He doesn't believe it can be proven. He doesn't believe it's a thing. Here's a quote from him. We have no good reason to think we understand climate to make predictions about what follows from here and when, and to audaciously begin discussion by implicating our humble species. And the whole thing is worse than audacious. It's pathetic. Our humble species. Yeah. A little bit of intellectual mouth, but you're also humble (laughs) top of the food chain species. And he also believe, did not believe that HIV had a connection with AIDS, which actually the guy who discovered HIV was back and forth on that as well, which is a weird thing since that's been proven. Uh, yeah, but anyone can thing. say that, you know, I feel like if you're a scientist, someone could just feel like this, this is um, the vaccine for COVID. And someone's like, that's not the vaccine for COVID. And if you're a scientist, people are like, he knows what he's talking about. He's a scientist. He could say shit. You don't No one. There's no one accountability anywhere yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> actually as a good example for that um for like accountability and kind of where this nobel disease seems to come in after he won his nobel prize he was invited by the european society for clinical investigation to come and talk specifically about pcr he used it as the as an opportunity to attack all the aids researchers that were present <laughs> in the audience um this is a quote from the chairman of the European Society for Clinical Investigation about how that event went. His talk was in style rambling and in content inappropriate for a public appearance of a leader of science. His only slides on what he called his arts were photographs he'd taken of naked women with colored lights projected onto their bodies. <laughs> he did this while publicly shaming AIDS researchers. <laughs> And he was meant to talk about his own research, right? Yeah, he was only there. He was only there to talk about PCR. He was there to talk about PCR (laughs) and his Nobel Prize. He was not there to talk Mm -hmm. about anything else. I mean, that makes me think that he didn't even really discover PCR. You know? Well, yeah, there is an argument about how much work he actually put into it. But in order to really talk about that, we'd have to go into like an hour and a half on him alone, which as fun as that would be, to be honest, because it would be fun. Uh that's not what we're here for this time. <laughs> this time. Let's talk about the best part. Jackie, do you want to talk about <laughs> the best part? Um, yes. Okay. So, you know, he kind of ended up going a little crazy. I mean, I actually, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to be honest though. I think that this guy was just always really crazy. You yeah. know, I think he, he was born that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't even say that he really discovered anything to begin with, but anyways, he, <laughs> okay, let me, let me compose myself for a second. Cause this shit's crazy. <clears throat> he claimed that a fluorescent green raccoon spoke to him just once and that it may have been an alien. As he says, he approached, it approached him and said, good evening, doctor. <laughs> 
He said, I encountered a glowing green raccoon riding a neon orange motorcycle at my cabin in the woods of Northern California around midnight one night in 1985. The raccoon proceeded to to metamorphize into a singing dolphin at the stroke of midnight. (laughs) So sorry. I would try saying that with a straight face. The next thing he remembers was that it was it was morning and that he was still walking. So I guess the through the entire thing, he had been walking and that he kind of zoned out into this like weird thing where this fluorescent raccoon spoke to him. And the next thing that happened was that he came to and he was still walking. Mm hmm. In the in the woods or wherever he was walking. And I mean, if this doesn't I, th- I think that this is definitely an alien abduction story or just this guy was so high on LSD. Yeah, he, it could go either way. He honestly. has gone after that claim a lot when he was alive. He did. He said he swore like up and down. I was not on hallucinogenics. So I don't I believe him. maybe they were still in his system. For anyone who uh, just wants to know, that is from his book, Dancing Naked in the Mind Field. <laughs> Uh, which has a wonderful picture of him holding a surfboard on the front of it. So uh, I just feel like, though, it makes no sense because I feel like if he said, you know, I was on a lot of drugs, people would be like, okay. But the fact that he just doubled down, mm-hmm. you know, he could have used that as an out to sound less crazy. But no, he was like, was no, it wasn't drugs. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a raccoon on a neon orange motorcycle in the middle <laughs> of the forest. Good evening, doctor. <laughs> Good evening, doctor. That's the part that gets me is that it speaks and then turns into a dolphin. And then the next thing he knows, it's morning. He he did equate this to an alien abduction story, which is also not surprising because one of his biggest beliefs going into even weirder beliefs, if you can believe it, uh, he believed in the Urantia book or Urantia. Urantia. Urantia, however you want to say it. Uh, it is a book about alien channels, which are people who can channel aliens, not alien channels on TV, like Animal Planet or Discovery <laughs> or whatever you're watching. Uh, it's about people who channel aliens and let them speak through them, kind of like ghosts, uh, kind of like mediums for ghosts. But this book is all about the connection of Christianity, aliens, and like channeling them. So that was one of his big beliefs as well. He was once quoted as saying uh, that he doesn't understand why we're still arguing whether or not aliens can exist when the Urantia book proves that they do. So, okay, yes. well, it proves it. Yeah, <laughs> proves it. Um, the final thing on this list, though, going into that, is that he also believed in astrology. He was a firm believer, not like a, I think astrology could be real. No, no, he is a firm <laughs> believer in this. Um, after, so like after he got his prize and he went on a rant about AIDS and all of that, he did for a while get into roller skating guitars and astrology. That kind of became his oh thing. God. So while he was writing his book about himself, um, there's two quotes here from him about astrology. One of which is, how can an institution of higher learning grant someone a PhD in psychology without requiring at least a few courses in astrology? Because uh, he believed it was that important. Okay. And also, I had to read a lot about astrophysics and had taken some psychoactive drugs, which enhanced my perceived understanding of the cosmos. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's just like really high on a couch and he was just like the space it's like crazy man (laughs) (laughs) but he wasn't high when he met the raccoon only when he's thinking about the cosmos later that's yeah so he very much believed in astrology he believed that doing hallucinogenics uh could connect you to the universe and Mm -hmm. help you understand astrology a bit better which if anything is true it might be that hallucinogenics do help you understand astrology a bit more. That might be a true thing. Maybe. Might help you connect with that aspect of yourself if you want to go that route. Well, maybe after we finish this podcast, we can all do some hallucinogenics and see if we understand astrology better. <laughs> Wait for the live stream. <laughs> I think it's actually more confusing. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like a lot of them believed in astrology. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's like super crazy. No, that's not crazy. You have yeah. astrology and the memory of water. Those are two. Different yeah. Like there are things that if someone could prove them and I saw facts, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's real. 
but it's just that it seems like impossible to prove because you know what? It doesn't, it's not believable for me because I don't feel like a Virgo, you know? Anyway, there's just uh, another Nobel prize winner that I read about that I thought I'd mention on here. It's uh, Ahmed Zawail, who was an Egyptian Nobel Prize winner. He is known as the father of femtochemistry. And I could not even begin to explain what that is. So I'm not going to try because I read about it and it made no sense to me. I've never heard of it before. <laughs> so I can't yeah. help you there. After he won the Nobel Prize, he then spearheaded an effort to create a science and technology city, which bore his own name. And he worked with Barack Obama on like a bunch of scientific policies and had him, you know, had Ahmed advise Barack on a bunch of policies, which felt dangerous considering that he was kind of a narcissist who wanted uh, a city named after him. So I don't know. I don't think that's like a super normal person thing to do is to yeah. want a city name. <laughs> <laughs> to create a city and then name it after you but okay sounds more like uh, a uh, evil villain but okay so that was all of the ones who did win the Nobel prize that we had i'm i think that there's definitely more but that those were the ones that we had on our list there's also a few who did not win the Nobel prize but made some big discoveries and maybe went kind of crazy after them and i think probably it was in pursuit of a Nobel prize. So yeah, my thought is, yeah, is like even the pursuit of a Nobel prize can, can make you crazy. Still like in your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Also real quick, I wanted to say, I looked up femtochemistry. Okay. As far as I can tell, it's just like chemistry that happens really fast. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just going to go with that. Yeah. Cause it's not something about like, it wasn't nanosecond. It was something like a femtosecond, a femtosecond. Yeah. Really fast chemistry. So it's fast chemistry. Anyway, yeah. Let's talk about a couple people who are also big, smart people. So there's Alfred Russell Wallace, who actually, he was another person who discovered the theory of natural selection alongside Charles Darwin. So like kind of around the same time, they both basically had the same idea. However, I feel like this guy probably is basically forgotten for that discovery because he also advocated spiritualism as legitimate science and believed that non-material forces explained the evolution of the human mind. Mm. So, Although, is that, is that that crazy? I feel like it, that makes sense. I just don't see how you could prove it. Yeah. You know? I feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility for sure, but he basically thought that the cosmos or ghosts or whatever you believe in is what made your brain work. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, it could at least just be the reason why he was kind of shunned by the science community. Yeah, it's probably. Like, oh, he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Alfred Russell Wallace was also someone that, um, from what I remember, Darwin actually looked up to. It was one of those things where it was a question of who came up with the ideas first, but Wallace felt like his were not as refined as Darwin's were, even though Darwin wanted to credit him, Wallace didn't want the credit. So it was kind of a, not so much that he was forgotten as much as he almost didn't want to be remembered. Kind of a weird thing with him. That's, that's at least what I remember about Alfred Russell Wallace. I know there's a bigger story there. Sounds like he was more probably just like intelligent design, that aspect of how life began. Yeah. And also there's this, there's a more fun one here that I included this whole section for anyway, which is Percival Lowell. He was a planetary astronomer whose observations led to the discovery of Pluto. He didn't directly discover Pluto. However, he basically came up with the means that allowed us to see a planet that fucking far away. Mm-hmm. So did he come up with the means that allowed us to see it or did he theorize that it was there? Because quite a few people had theorized it was there. And I don't know yeah, who the first person I don't was. know. It's hard to gather. Basically, he was involved in Pluto and space. So for people who don't know real <laughs> quick, for a while, there were a bunch of people doing math who couldn't see Pluto. And they were like, we're pretty sure based on the math, there's something mm-hmm. there. And math they could prove that. People were like, probably not. And they were like, we'll, pr- we'll prove it eventually. Um, quick history lesson. What, what's also scary, though, is that now there's a they think that there's a further planet than Pluto that might be like bigger than Jupiter, like bigger than any of the planets, like giant yeah. planet that's just kind of looming. 
but we can't see it because the sun doesn't go that far, which is terrifying to think about and keeps me up at night. <laughs> yeah, it's similar to uh, wandering planets. Have you ever heard of those before? Mm-hmm. They're planets that we can only see in very specific uh, points in time because they have to go by the sun or by a sun for us to be able to see them. But they're basically planets that no longer have a solar system. So they just go into other solar systems and just throw everything off at any moment. They're, in they're time, like the Vikings of. Yeah. Yeah. They're the, the Vikings they are like the of Vikings. solar system. <laughs> <laughs> no, they could at any point in time, like tomorrow, a wandering planet could kind of just show up on our radar and into our solar system and just throw off everything cool in one go now that keeps me up so <laughs> yeah i know all right <laughs> let's talk about the fun part that i was getting to right the fun instead part instead of space <laughs> order <laughs> so basically this guy uh was looking at mars and he convinced himself that he had discovered martian canals and they were of intelligent origin um so he gathered this because he saw a bunch of straight lines running through mars and assume they were uh, channels or canals. And so that means aliens. And he believed that the canals were specifically made to carry water from the poles to the rest of the planet. So he did draw some maps. I'll include the maps in the newsletter. So keep an eye out for that. It's kind of just like a lot of, it looks like he drew astrology on Mars. It was just like, yep, here's a bunch of symbols and those are canals, aliens. Interesting. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's like billions probably of scientists who have gone fucking crazy trying to get a Nobel Prize, but those are just two fun ones that I found. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Was Percival crazy though? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe the aliens heard about his discovery and they were like, we got to cover that up. We got to move that so people can see it now. Damn it. Fix the holograms. So this was interesting. You know, when I was looking at Nobel disease, there I found something called inverted Nobel disease. <laughs> And it, it's kind of misleading, I feel like, because Nobel disease as a de- disease isn't very well defined. So it's hard to understand why there is even like inverted mm-hmm. disease of that. But basically, it's so to, to explain it with a case, it was this guy. Uh, hold on, let me, I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce this. Sorry, it wasn't even a guy. It was this woman named Tu Yu. I'm so sorry if that's wrong, but uh, she received a Nobel Prize in 2015 in medicine for her discovery of why is every why is every science word so hard? Artemisinin, artemisinin. It was a drug used to treat malaria and is now saving millions of lives. And she discovered it while testing thousands of other herbs that were in her field of study, which was traditional Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so what inverted Nobel disease is basically is accidentally finding something, even though you're, you're like thinking about all these, maybe like irrational, crazy things and accidentally stumbling upon something that is maybe an amazing discovery. So it's not really the opposite of Nobel disease, because I feel like yeah. that, that would mean that you won a Nobel prize while being crazy and then somehow became sane or something like that yeah but uh it's kind of like this idea of like a stopped clock you know like even even a stop clock is right twice a day like even a crazy person sometimes is right and it's this idea of proto-science rather than pseudoscience and so my some uh examples of proto-sciences have been alchemy which developed into chemistry astrology which developed into astronomy and herbalism and folk remedies which developed into pharmacology and then alienism which developed into psychology i don't know how that happened i want to do more research on that but that was kind of interesting to me yeah and so the the idea that maybe these like crazy trains of thought that these nobel prize winners go on maybe they might be on something onto something it's just that uh you know they would they just didn't pick the right thing yeah to be crazy about so i don't know it's it's kind of interesting they didn't just choose and you know what it is kind of interesting because i feel like if you would win a nobel prize for something that's like an amazing scientific discovery i think 
in order to find something better and bigger, you have to go a little bit crazier. You know, it's hard to like keep making like the same amount of discoveries because you need to be bigger than the last one. So I think that's why a lot of them do go to these crazy places with it because they're like, well, if I can prove that, that this is true, it'll change everything we know about science. You know, it's like, well, you don't need to do that. Actually. You could just like keep continuing in the scientific work that you're doing that is actually helping people uh, and not be crazy, but it's up to you, I guess. That's no fun. Yeah. I think think the biggest question is whether or not, the idea of Nobel disease is a conspiracy in the fact that you get it after you get the Nobel prize or you are just driven to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's inverted in the way where you were crazy and then you got a Nobel prize for it rather than getting a Nobel prize and then turning crazy. So I guess that's where it's inverted, you know? It makes sense. I mean, you got to be a little bit crazy to look at some of the stuff that scientists who have discovered things in the past have looked at. I mean, Darwin went to an island to just stare at animals for a while to figure out what made them tick. Exactly. So, I mean, every single scientist, I mean, kind of started with that grain of crazy in them somewhere, I think. Yeah, no, they did. Uh, it, it is one of those things that kind of makes sense. Well, and like a lot of these Nobel Prize winners, the ones that went crazy, like we kind of said it with uh, Mullis, like he was crazy. I mean, <laughs> well, that guy was just, just kind of was. <laughs> he, he was just kind of nuts. But like all of them kind of were, which is how they found the things that they did because they went mm-hmm. looking for something that other people weren't looking for or decided that wasn't there. Um, yeah, it's just one of those really weird, I don't know. It, it is, it's a weird idea that you kind of have like this narcissism disease. Mm-hmm. I did want to show you guys real quick down at the bottom of the thing. I did put in a picture. I put in Carrie Mullis's beautiful book cover, but I also oh. put in uh, water has memory. So you guys can see the different structures. Wow. All different things at water. Hmm. So the I love you one is really cute. It is. I love you fool. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> it just looks confused. So, okay. The, my thing is that if water has memory, so what, then what? Well, like, so the thing about if water has memory, then in theory, therein lies every single cure to every disease we've ever encountered because that means that at some point water which has touched everything on the planet means it has touched the cure to those diseases that's where the importance of it comes in Yeah, but we can't read the minds of water because it doesn't have a mind but they did manage to get water molecules to go to like give information to another water molecule which then went into a computer so in theory we can extract that information but it's a convoluted mess so like even if we extract it it doesn't mean we can necessarily understand it and just because you find one water molecule doesn't mean necessarily that one was shared the information with another one mm-hmm. but in theory because mm-hmm. all water is connected that means what they are hoping is that molecules are just immediately just kind of like sparking across the planet which means every single one that's touching another one is just going to slowly flow which means all of that information is present okay chill it sounds like you believe in it's water a though it's a lot no it's just i read i went deep dive i did a very deep dive today. it's a lot uh i don't know if i believe it honestly it sounds weird but kind of interesting. Let's talk about some conclusions. Okay. Okay. So this just sounds like a bunch of old white men that do whatever the fuck they want whenever they get a nice gold star. That is the Nobel Prize winners, mostly. It's, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure you said at the beginning, Jackie, it's just like megalomania. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like happens when you, like, say something nice to an old white man for being racist. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, but then usually he's just sexist. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that it's it's just more dangerous than like your average narcissistic old man who maybe has done averagely in his life because you know people with nobel nobel prizes have a lot more influence and so that's why it's just it's kind of scary what they do with it because like even now i feel like the like linus pauling is that his name right uh he influenced vitamin c to a point where like i feel like now when we're sick we're like, okay, well, make sure you like drink some orange juice and get your vitamin C. You know, it's like he's influenced thought enough where it did kind of change our our thoughts on on something. And we don't even know if that's true, you know? Like 
isn't important to get vitamin C when you're sick? Who fucking actually knows? more important to get vitamin D, I've read. Oh, see, so, like... That's why I only drink Sunny D when I'm sick. <laughs> that's why I just drink 14 bottles of Sunny D every hour that I'm, I'm sick. I'm wondering if you drank, like, let's say, like, 15 gallons of Sunny D in a week, would you have superpowers? <laughs> Because I feel like there's enough chemicals in that to give you <laughs> for real. There's certainly no orange juice. Yeah, there's it. no oranges in Sunny D. It's a vitamin C cocktail with orange flavor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, to your point though, like how much they pushed things back. Um, so, like the Mullis thing about him going on like rants with like naked photos of women with colors all over them is funny to a point, but like they also mentioned how he kind of dumbed down AIDS research for years because he was a big Nobel Prize winner who was like this mm-hmm. isn't real. So yeah, he also and same with the glo- global. Oh, sorry. Stay with the global warming stuff. It's like, how far back were you pushed? Because some idiot was like global warming that it doesn't exist. And he has some dumbass Nobel Prize. And now every scientist who's been working on global warming for so long is just like, okay, fuck you, dude. Just because you get a Nobel Prize. Now everyone's going to listen to you. Yeah, there's definitely like a common theme with most of these people. Yeah. And it probably it made racism even more rampant. Yeah, I mean, they they basically just seem to attach themselves to whatever is, like, rampant, stupid idea at their time, which is, like, HIV and AIDS or, like, autism or global warming or racism or and et cetera, was, et cetera. It was typically something they didn't win a prize for. Yeah. It's something that yeah. was so far outside of the realm of what they study. And that is another thing, though, that, like, it is definitely, like, I mean, we can call this conspiracy if we want. But people that tend to be like more intelligent or have PhDs or whatever, they don't think that they know the thing that they know. They think they know everything. That is a Mm -hmm. common theme with that. There's like a lot of narcissism, narcissism that goes along with knowing something really well and then thinking that that applies to the fact that you understand everything over here, too. But it's not narcissism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's the I don't know. It's a weird thing. It's like if you had a PhD in baking and suddenly you thought you could fix cars, like it's, it's not the same thing. You, you put something together, but you don't mm-hmm. put it together in the same way. So that's kind of yeah. what it feels like. And that's always stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Jackie, do you think Nobel disease is real? Um, I think it's silly to classify it as something specific like this. It just seems like your textbook case of narcissism yeah, um, specifically brought on by winning the Nobel prize. And also just that I like, I was reading a little bit about the Nobel prize and there's only, there's like so many people who contribute to amazing discoveries every year. And only there's only three Nobel prize winners every year. So it's like, and, and there's been more and more scientists. So I, I feel like they that it's becoming more and more exclusive to win a Nobel Prize, which is making it more and more dangerous. People are working so hard to get it that it just brings out the worst and most unethical and immoral traits about a person. And then, you know, that's just going to make them go crazy or think that they know things about other fields that they don't at all, or just maybe try so hard to get to the next amazing discovery that they just start sprouting crazy nonsense. So I guess it's, I kind of believe it's real, but also mostly just thought it's, it's in place of just narcissism disease. I mean, I, I kind of just agree the same way. It it seems silly to attribute this as a disease. It's not really like Mm -hmm. Nobel disease. It's just, like I said, old white men thinking they can do whatever because they were given an award yeah. So now they've won. They can do whatever they want. And also most of the time, like these pseudoscience or like crazy beliefs or whatever, we're already there. Like the racist people we talked about at the beginning, they were just all already racist. They were mm-hmm. just trying to like, like, what's the word? Make their racism okay with science. Right. And also now they have something. now they had a platform, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So like they had a reason to go out there and be like, look, I can be racist because I'm right about everything. Yeah. There were like Mm -hmm. six different Nobel prize winners that I saw that had that exact thing where it's like, what were their crazy beliefs? Usually eugenics, Mm -hmm. but it was typically some type of racially driven thing. So I didn't include them on the list because we really only need a couple to understand that there's a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, like even a guy who he was awarded it in like the early two thousands, like a hundred years after his discovery or something like that. uh, He was awarded a Nobel prize, but I didn't put him on the list because 
what did he do after he after he made his huge discovery in life he went to go work on eugenics projects the same ones that the nazis were working on not with them but with the same projects yeah. so it didn't matter same thing but yeah there, there's a lot of that i think nobel disease is accurate i think you could call it a lot of things though mm-hmm. so and i think a big part is when you have learned more than your intelligence allows. And I think that kind of goes for some of these people too. Carrie Mullis specifically, I don't think was as smart as some of the things he discovered. And I think that was a problem. Like a lot of the stuff that I read, a lot of people said that he didn't understand his basic, like the basic understandings and building blocks of something that he was talking about. So he had to have other scientists come in and help him with the logistics because he had like a creative artsy idea, but he didn't understand the science behind it. And I think that's partially where this comes from as well as a lot of these people, Mm -hmm. again, they go towards something like global warming when they are focused on the structure of DNA. Those aren't the same thing. Yeah. just not the same thing you're again you're trying to fix a car when all you need know how to do is bake a cake that's you you have, need to have two completely different understandings so so is that what you think we're all in agreement yeah mm-hmm. it's real ish it's real ish yeah they should just stop doing the nobel prize true let's just acknowledge people when they make great discoveries whenever they do mm-hmm. that <laughs> yeah let's give them medals sure that's fine but if we give more people medals, they're not going to be such a big deal. Yeah. Or just give no one medals. Who gives a fuck? Anyways. Just do your science. Your medal do your damn is fixing science. something. <laughs> it's a, your medal is being a scientist and having a job. Good job. Anyways. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty much it. And so this was an interesting find last yeah. second. Uh, I will say that I want a poster now of a neon raccoon riding a neon orange motorcycle. I think we can um, pull that together. Anyway, that's been the episode, and this has been Conspiracy Say What. You can find us on the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Goodreads, which, of course, we will put Dancing Naked in the Mind field by Carrie Mullis on our Goodreads, so you can find that there. Yeah. Subscribe to the newsletter if you want to see all these lovely photos that we've found on the internet. Um, if you want to see what exactly you would draw, if you were to draw a white racist man, um, that'll be in there. Uh, I'll try and find a good fluorescent raccoon photo or camel make something. Um, yeah, so you can subscribe to that. And then also we have our virtual tip jar that you can contribute to if you would like to help us keep this podcast ad free. Anyway, you can find all those links in the show notes below. And also, um, I'm Allie. I'm Jackie. I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to always stay stitches. Remember to always stay stitches. And if a glowing raccoon approaches you on a motorcycle, get ready for it to turn into a dolphin. Be careful. (laughs)